I've never been so afraid of a podcast. The topic of forgiveness seems benign, perhaps even boring. All of the world's major religious traditions consider forgiveness a virtue to which human beings should aspire. But when it comes down to forgiveness in organizations, it becomes a complex and even controversial lightning rod. Welcome to The Behaviorist with Work Wisdom, where we help you adopt high-performance mindsets, behaviors, communication, and culture. I'm your host, Kedron Crosby. Our intention for The Behaviorist podcast is to share accessible, concrete practices that you can weave into your whole life to begin a shift toward joy and meaningful achievement. We're so grateful to have Jess King from the city of Lancaster joining us. Hi, Jess. Hi, Kedrin. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so happy you're here. Just a caveat. I have it all figured out. Oh, good. (laughs) All the answers in the next 30 minutes. Exactly. Stay tuned. So my first question is, why am I so nervous to talk about this topic? It feels so loaded. I I know. It's it's one of the biggest issues that is both like very personal, very spiritual, and has huge implications in organizations. I know. So And there's not much there's not much written about it. People don't really talk about it. It's not like I've gotten any graduate degrees in this. Yeah. You know? Uh, but yet, if we don't figure this out, I don't think we're going to move forward. Yeah. It feels really big. I'm it's, glad we're talking about it's it. It's really big. But um, yeah, I'm glad you have all the answers, Jess. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to hear them. <laughs> so uh, so since we're talking about forgiveness in organizations, which is sort of a special kind of forgiveness, I thought I'd I'd read from a book where there are real answers. So, um, so there's uh, a man named Kim Cameron who's a researcher in positive organizational scholarship, and he really studies forgiveness in organizations. So he talks about um, what a definition of forgiveness in organizations is. He says, forgiveness in organizations occurs when emotional, attitudinal, cognitive, and behavioral changes transpire after harm or wrongdoing has been experienced. Negative feelings, bitterness, resentment, desire for revenge, or retaliatory behavior are abandoned and replaced by a neutralized position at a minimum or by an increase in positive emotions, affirmative motivations, and pro-social behavior in the ideal. Forgiveness occurs in organizations when the collective group reframes an offense such that they adopt a positive, pro-social, learning-oriented response to the violation. The organization and its members are able to move past the trauma and pursue an optimistic and positive future. Doesn't that sound amazing? That's really amazing. Why don't we talk about this? Let's do it. I know. So um, do we ever hear people talk about forgiveness at work? And, And if we don't, why don't we hear people talk about forgiveness at work? Um, why do you think we don't hear about it more when basically there's failed behavior every day, maybe every hour? Why do you think people don't talk about it? I wonder what the threshold is for most people, what they feel like is a something where they feel safe at work or where things are putting their job in jeopardy and like just steering oh. clear of anything that feels risky or either side. Nobody likes to 
fire anybody. Nobody likes to be fired. It feels like these in an organizational culture, it feels like when we start talking about forgiveness, it gets into a place that feels like it almost is zero sum. Yeah. Uh, and very fearful. Mm-hmm. What's going to emerge for somebody depending on what happens with their behavior at work and what the response is. And yeah. if that's unknown, yeah, that's really scary. Yeah, it is really scary. Well, and that explains why I'm scared to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to fire you, Kedrin. Oh, I don't even God. employ you. And also, I don't think of things in that term, right? But and I love you and you're my friend. Aw. Well, so, but you're right. You know, the stakes are really high. Um, your job, yeah. you know, the stakes are really high. And so it's probably easier to go to a place of avoiding yep. than it is to face it. And so forgiveness actually requires um, n- not avoiding, mm-hmm. but maybe even um, talking to the other person about mm-hmm. something that's really uncomfortable and could maybe feel like you could get in trouble for even bringing it up. Yeah. So I think maybe the norm is to just go to avoid yeah. using our TKI language. Yeah. yeah. And uh, if there's not a culture of this, if you're not, if it's not being talked about, supervisors or people in positions of authority in a, in a workplace also don't have the language or the practice or the comfortability of bringing it up too, right? So it goes both ways. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe starting to talk about it more is the first step. Mm-hmm. I'm glad we're doing this podcast. Great. So, so there's, so Kim Cameron and the folks in the world of positive organizational behavior and scholarship talk about these two different levels of forgiveness. So there's forgiveness that we're more familiar with, which is what happens at the individual level, mm-hmm. interpersonal forgiveness. But then there's this organizational forgiveness that happens at that collective level that I just read about. Um, I've been wondering the last couple of days, do you think that we think that we need to be skillful at the individual forgiveness in order to level up to the organizational forgiveness? It really seems that way, that like if we're not good at something personally, how could we be good at something corporately? Yeah. And so it seems like that's how things normally go in the way we think about whatever issue. I'm trying to think of another example. But in this one, so many of us feel, I mean, I feel this, Mm -hmm. that forgiveness can just be a doggedly um, challenging thing that follows you through your life Um, with a, you know, thinking of a family member Mm -hmm. or a a friend who hurt you Mm -hmm. or um, a colleague who did something. I mean, these are the things that you, if you talk, start thinking about that, you can picture people that you've had these experiences with. Um, and it's really hard. And if you don't feel like you've mastered it, which I don't, what are the signs that you've mastered it? Forgiveness is also really tricky because it, it, um, in the hardest cases doesn't feel like it's ever, there's a lot of cases where it feels like it doesn't fully, um, complete. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. So there's so much that can be one-ended forgiveness, Mm -hmm. like forgiveness. If you don't on an interpersonal level, if you don't forgive that, uh, the harm that's done to yourself Mm -hmm. in the process of Mm -hmm. holding on to Mm -hmm. the anger or holding on to the harm that was done to you Mm -hmm. without letting it go. Mm -hmm. When you're dealing maybe with somebody who hasn't even acknowledged that they've done something wrong. Yeah. Like that one-sided forgiveness Mm -hmm. is really like very, horribly challenging. (laughs) But yet, could we say that that's a success? 
And I think, yeah, yeah, I think we can say that that would be a success in some ways. Mm -hmm. Maybe the relationship hasn't been restored. Yeah. We haven't preserved the relationship necessarily, but, um, but all the physiological problems that come with unforgiveness go away away. or at least start to, we let it go. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and, you know, also there's a lot in that around growing in Mm self-awareness. Um, so have we grown in self-awareness? Have we looked into whatever the, the break in the relationship was to, Mm -hmm. to try and investigate it, to see, um, which pieces of this might I own? Yeah. You know, are there new constructive behaviors I might want to adopt so that I can become a better version of myself? Yeah. Um, maybe the relationship still won't be preserved, but you could move forward. You can at least know what you can do about it. Yeah. It could be constructive. Yeah. Yeah. When we, you know, as when you invited me on the podcast to Mm -hmm. talk about it, that's almost where I went first was mm. like, what are the conditions that underlie um, forgiveness for yourself? Mm. So I think we can talk about what it means for yourself and also for your organization. Mm-hmm. For yourself, that clarity, mm-hmm. being clear on who you are and where you want to go mm-hmm. and why, mm-hmm. what your motivation is. If those pieces are clear and you're, um, I don't even know quite how to say these but if you're if you're clear on those pieces, it feels like you're much less likely to um, blame the wrong thing mm-hmm. or inflames to be super clear about what's happening in a workplace or in a relationship to know uh, where forgiveness might need to occur if you're really clear about yourself first. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Yeah, and I think some of that comes back to your own values and your own winning aspiration yeah. and sort of understanding who you are. Are you solid with that? And then and then you can see where where your yard ends and the fence is yeah. and where the they're on the other side of the fence. And yeah. if they've got weeds growing, you can let that be because yeah. it's not on your side of the fence. That's right. Yeah. Well, I've been also thinking about, you know, I'm not sure that we have to level up. I'm mm-hmm. not sure we have to be so skillful at the individual uh, interpersonal forgiveness in order to master organizational forgiveness mm-hmm. or the collective work of forgiveness. I, I grew up in Shaker Heights. I don't know if I ever told you that mm-hmm. outside of Cleveland. Mm-hmm. It's actually a suburb of Cleveland. And so we studied the Shakers a lot when I was growing up. Um, but I think that there are cultures where there are norms around forgiveness. Mm-hmm. There's um, They call it a, a disposition for forgiveness mm-hmm. in certain companies, organizations, um, maybe religions. And um, it helps people know what's normal in terms of how we proceed to forgive. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it might be that if you are in a culture that has a disposition towards forgiveness, it could be that you're you're good at that organizationally, you know, collectively, but maybe still weak Mm -hmm. in the interpersonal one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Am I being too optimistic? <laughs> no, not at all. And it feels like something that needs to be practiced, right? So that's part of a culture or yeah. something is a norm. Yeah. You can see it in other people and you can see a behavior that's part of a something you know to expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think there's something valuable just as we name um, – aspired behaviors and cultures, you know, so what should we stop doing? What should we start doing? What should we continue doing? We could probably do that organizationally around this, this value mm-hmm. of forgiveness mm-hmm. if we wanted to. Yeah. Maybe we should do that sometime. 
We should. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll start with work wisdom. Um, so we know that from the research, there are some organizations which have this, like I just said, a disposition or a culture of forgiveness, as opposed to those that might be more inclined to just forgive a single response when the offender is contrite and when the consequences are not too severe. So I've been thinking about this too. Um, can you think of an organization or maybe even an industry where they might have dispositional forgiveness, um, where maybe they've developed the virtue of forgiveness more universally and even baked it into the culture? Do you have any yeah, ideas? You know, the first thing that occurs to me is thinking about industries that require a high level of risk and innovation. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, currently that looks like the tech industry mm -hmm. or industries that are trying to like come up with disruptive, um, you know, developments in energy or um, intelligence, like artificial intelligence, things that like can move the needle in new ways require a ton of risk, right? And so yeah. if you work in that space, if you lead in that space, if you invest in that space, you have to be prepared for a high level of failure. Yeah. That's just how it is. I mean, they um, venture capitalists are like know to expect a very, very um, limited success rate, like I think one in 10, if that, mm -hmm. of the projects that they invest in, they expect to do well. Now, the ones that do well in that case do really, really well. Sure. So they grow at this like exponential scale and give a great return. But like you have to be comfortable with that level of risk if you want to see something, do something game changing. Like then, then the kind of related to this, but what feels like more pedestrian, but what I'm used to mm -hmm. is like I was trained in the John Carver governance model, mm -hmm. like in small nonprofit development which really is this idea that if you're not doing something illegal, immoral, or unethical, everything else should be, and, and you're clear on where you want to go. If you're clear on your mission and vision, vision, and you know that you know, you're, you're carving out the space to say, basically anything that's not illegal, immoral, or unethical, go, do it. Mm -hmm. um, this is part of, the, part of the playbook. Go mm -hmm. do it. And that, I think, creates a high level of, um, yeah, you're able to take risks mm -hmm. and know that you are safe inside the organizational culture. And so that's how I kind of cut my teeth in leadership was using those kind of policies. And I think that is a great ground rule. Um, and I've been lucky to be in organizations that have been very comfortable with risk mm -hmm. and comfortable with failure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think unethical gets a little gray. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I think sometimes I've worked with leaders who, who aren't sure whether or not they should forgive hmm. an employee because they're not sure if something that's transpired is unethical, mm. you know, mm -hmm. um, that, that does get a little gray. Mm -hmm. I've also been thinking about the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. You know, they also have to fail fast, mm -hmm. be wildly creative, um, have lots of iteration. And so, so they seem to have a high threshold for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if, uh, if we went up to Rock Lidditz and, and, you know, asked some questions and had some focus groups, I wonder if we'd find that there's actually a really um, strong disposition mm -hmm. towards forgiveness mm -hmm. up there. I'd be really curious Let's to learn more it. about it. Let's do that too. Okay. Okay. Um, we'll have to quit our real jobs to go <laughs> right. pursue the, the world of forgiveness. It sounds fun with yeah. really good music too. Oh yeah, that's right. You know, 
Um, so there's also a growing body of evidence that links chronic states of unforgiveness, including anger, hostility, resentment, and fear, to many adverse physiological and mental health outcomes. Has there ever been a time where your body or your health has suffered because you are not quite ready to move toward forgiveness? Yes. Um, and it, so as you know, I recently ran for office, which yeah. was an all consuming uh, endeavor yeah. in a lot of ways. And that experience, kind of in the middle of it, I think the intensity of it and the requirement that I had all of my strength or all of my, mm. you know, spiritual fortitude to put yeah. into the, the effort required that I had to deal with some long lasting challenges with uh, an issue of forgiveness mm -hmm. with a family member. Mm -hmm. um, and that situation drove me to forgive this family member in a way that I never have been able to before. Mm -hmm. And it was like almost under duress because mm -hmm. I had chronic migraines and was having trouble sleeping and, you know, needed to move past it. It was taking energy that wasn't serving the greater good. Yeah. And I felt that acutely, which put me over the top mm. um, and needing to deal with it. And so in a very perverse way, I'm really grateful mm -hmm. um, for that pressure to be able to move past it. And it's been amazing to be able to let that go. Yeah. In a way that I never have before. Yeah. And and that might be that kind of forgiveness where I don't, I don't, I don't know. And I, I don't want to pry, but you know, there's the kind of forgiveness where you work with the other person and you have some sort of restoration and you heal together and, mm -hmm. and you move past it. And then there's the kind of forgiveness where you let it go, mm -hmm. where you say your behavior is going to stay what your behavior is. Yeah. And, um, and I can't help you with that. Yep. And, and I forgive you and we'll send you love and kindness from over here. That's right. That's <laughs> and right. good luck with that. Yeah. 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 And, and I feel like, um, both of those get us to a, a healthier place physiologically. Yeah. 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 And it's hard to rationalize that until you've done it mm -hmm. or had to experience it. And mm -hmm. I had people, you know, tell me these things that, you know, I needed to forgive. Um, I needed to get to this place. It became like a should, mm -hmm. um, but I didn't know how to do it. And I couldn't, for some reason, muster it until it got to a point where it was causing yeah. physical distress. Mm -hmm. um, and then to feel it go away uh, is an amazing experience. Yeah. Our bodies are so smart. They tell us, don't they? Yeah. Uh, so there was a 2005 study um, by David Bright at Case Western University, and, and he described that there are these three responses to the, the dissonance and the distress that come from failed expectations. So the three responses are begrudging, neutralizing, and, and transcendence. And I want to read again from this book a little bit about what the differences are. So begrudging, and this is how many of us um, handle organizational um, distress and um, dissonance. So begrudging means that people continue to feel hostile, expect retribution, and foster negative feelings, which is not a forgiving response at all. 
which might be not, isn't even forgiving. It's not even forgiving, <laughs> but it is yeah. the response. Yeah. So like there are three responses. This yeah. dissonance yeah. happens. The first one's begrudging. Mm-hmm. Not, you're not there. Um, the second one, and this is interesting because this people do think this is forgiving. I would debate them on this. Mm-hmm. So neutralizing. So neutralizing refers to abandoning negative feelings and putting aside the sense of offense. This was labeled pragmatic forgiving by Bright, usually uh, pursued for a utilitarian reason. Kind of reminds me of what you were saying before. The stakes were high. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just going to avoid it because Mm -hmm. you don't want to lose your job. I think that that is that sort of water under the bridge, um, pragmatic forgiving that is really just neutralizing. This third response is what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, the third response replaces negative feelings with positive feelings. And a sense of injury is replaced by a sense of empathy and even love. So this bright, uh, he went on to refer to this as um, transcendent forgiveness. And people attempt to identify what good can come from the offense, positivity replaces negativity and harmful events become interpreted as an opportunity for learning. Isn't that amazing? It's beautiful. I know. Yeah. So I want to, I want to learn more about concrete ways to help all of us, including me, (laughs) be able to do that. And I wonder if some of this starts with like empathy. They talked about that in yeah. there, like having empathy toward the transgressor mm-hmm. and whatever happened to try to better understand what went on for that person, mm-hmm. how they made the decision that they made to mm-hmm. understand where it came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a workplace, I think, again, we talked about some models of forgiveness where you can kind of like, you let it go, but you're not necessarily in relationship with that person mm-hmm. anymore. That function's not going to work in a workplace, right? No. Like you have to stay in relationship. Yeah. And so I think there are these lines where... We're not talking about blanket forgiveness where anybody, we're going to transcend um, yeah. something where someone maybe shouldn't be with the organization anymore. Mm-hmm. But assuming that they didn't do something or there wasn't something happening mm-hmm. um, that requires that kind of uh, mm-hmm. severing of relationship, mm-hmm. which even in that, I think you probably still forgive someone individually, even if a, if a relationship in a workplace is severed. But in a workplace, to try to create those relationships to start with empathy to understand where somebody's coming from to understand what led them to make a decision that they made mm-hmm. um, to put yourself in their shoes mm-hmm. to see if there are things you can learn about how the organization functioned um, to either support that decision or not um, yeah there's a lot of ways that it yeah. seems like it could be transcendent yeah yeah I think that's always the best place to start yeah. Yeah. and even for the person who's being forgiven um, especially if this isn't something that's a commonplace occurrence mm-hmm. in a workplace or that that person has experienced to be forgiven and know that they're safe mm-hmm. in a place to be able to take risks, what that does for someone who um, hasn't had that before, because I think so many workplaces are punitive mm-hmm. um, and so black and white in a way that just really doesn't allow full creativity or risk-taking to occur and we need it like we need like yeah. a different way of thinking in our workplaces if we're going to see if we're going to move the needle yeah in in ways in the 21st century that need to be moved yeah and honor our humanness yeah yeah at the same time yeah i i, I think um this keeps reminding me of the i think it was richard Rohr who says that if you don't transform your pain you'll transmit it yeah you know and i think that that helps us um 
really um, dive pretty deeply into how we can get to this collective forgiveness, you know, understanding that um, we're not going to just transmit it, transmit it, transmit it, Mm -mm. uh, kick it down, you know, kick the can. We're going to get under it and try and transform it. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and maybe feel the feelings and change our behavior using empathy. I think that um, as I've had to you know, forgive people over the years in the workplace and in family, going to that place of empathy is always, always helpful. Mm -hmm. It's always a good start. So here in Lancaster, here in Pennsylvania, over the last couple of years, we've had to grapple uh, with our response to organizations who have behaved badly. Some of the examples that come to mind for me would be, you know, Penn State, um, the Catholic Church here in Pennsylvania, um, recently we had an incident with, with how the Discover Lancaster board, um, had, had planned an annual meeting that didn't honor LGBTQ weddings. Um, and then they canceled it. And so ultimately they got on the right side of history. But, um, can you think of any failed expectations where the response to the bad behavior has been met with either begrudging or neutralizing, or even transcendence? When you think about different organizations that have had bad behavior, it's hard to think of like the transcendent piece. And I think, (laughs) you know, with the most recent one that you talked about with um, Discover Lancaster choosing a different response in in response to people's opposition, to them not acknowledging that, that it that it didn't make sense for their membership and it didn't reflect the values of their membership to continue on that path. That to me started to get more towards transcendence yeah. and I'm really curious what it will lead to. Mm. Um, but to think of examples of things that have um, exhibited transcendence, I'm having a hard time with that one. I know. I wish there was a book of case studies of transcendent forgiveness in organizations. Mm-hmm. We can do that okay. when we're done with our focus <laughs> groups at Rock Lidditz. Okay, so we know from the extensive research that a culture of forgiveness in organizations leads to higher morale, higher engagement, more social capital, more trust, more humanness, and more caring relationships. These organizations abandon bitterness in exchange for forward-looking approaches to the damage seeing them as part of the process of evolution and growth. Can you share any professional experiences you've had in organizations where, where you've traded in bitterness for transcendent forgiveness, um, seeing that hurtful behavior as some part of learning that moved both parties forward? Have you ever wow, been part of one beautiful. of those? Um, well, I've had the good fortune of being part of small, innovative um, risk-taking organizations for most of my 20-year career. And I'm in something new. And so I don't have any enough stories in my new workplace, just been there for like four weeks. So, but from what I've experienced in my work till now, there's been such a high level of forgiveness, of putting aside bitterness Mm -hmm. to work on relationship, Mm -hmm. to be clear, to prioritize, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, clear risk-taking and communication, be very clear. What is the, I'm losing the term, the the whole, in one of my MBA classes, we talked about the book that I can't say the name getting of right now. Yes? No, we talked no. about getting to yes, which was really good too. But yeah. um, now I can't say it, but it was essentially just like how to be 
the other idea with this is like radical candor. How do you yes. say, like yeah. have very clear communication yeah. um, to make sure that people know where you land on things. Yeah. Sorry, I totally flaked there. But Oh, um, yeah, no, that's totally fine. You know, that happens. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I forgive you, Jess. <laughs> you can't try. <laughs> I need it. It was transcendent forgiveness, It was transcendent too. forgiveness. <laughs> we grew from it. We did. Yeah. But, you know, I just, those kind of environments where you can be honest about things, yeah. that crucial conversations. Oh, that's yeah, the one yeah. finally that's coming and to mind. And crucial confrontations yeah. and crucial accountability. Oh, they're amazing. And yeah. just to like, to where we've had high levels of trust, mm-hmm. where we've prioritized relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I feel like I've had a lot of fortunate, a lot of fortunate environments. I've been part of creating those environments mm-hmm. as executive director in most of them. And um, it's really about, the quality of the relationships of the people in a place mm-hmm. and building trust mm-hmm. and respect that goes both ways. Yeah. I feel like I, I, I'm not going to say this on the air, but I've seen you be part of an organization that, that did transcendent work, hmm. um, with another organization. And, you know, I think that was really neat to see sort of how you built a partnership Yeah, that was, uh, you could have gone, it could have gotten, dark yeah <laughs> you know got when, you're, ugly. when you're asking some of those questions i can think of like these <laughs> these sort of like uh threads of relationship yeah that maybe were challenging yeah or often challenging mm-hmm. when you're a risk taker and mm-hmm. an innovator you often come to awareness about things it feels like ahead of some others that are mm-hmm. in spaces that for that has been mm-hmm. the the gist i think of some of the challenges of like inside outside relationships mm-hmm. between organizations mm-hmm. and yeah to be patient mm-hmm. to empathize mm-hmm. to keep showing up yeah and to keep being really clear on what your purpose and mission is mm-hmm. as a person as an organization both yeah are absolutely crucial yeah um lead the way through those sticky situations mm-hmm. where you could Choose bitterness. Choose a lot of bitterness. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's almost like growth mindset, you yeah. know, at an organizational level yeah. that you keep seeing the challenges um, as as ways to become better. Yeah. And like, how can we look at this and make it constructive and keep talking and not get bitter and mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. not let an ego get in the way. And not know. doubt yourself in the process either. Mm-hmm. I think I've done that a lot too, mm-hmm. where I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Mm-hmm that this isn't working, Mm -hmm. but also to recognize that organizations have different, um, speeds at which they operate. And that some of this is just like, let it play out Mm -hmm. and see how things are going to stay in the game, stay in the conversation Mm -hmm. and be patient with the process. Because Mm -hmm. sometimes, um, I'm thinking quick, fast, we want this to be done. We want to get clarity on this. We want to Mm -hmm. get resolution in this relationship around a particular issue, but you may not be working with a partner who moves as quickly Mm -hmm. or thinks as quickly just organizationally because they're bigger and more complex. And I feel like that's what I'm like stepping into with some humility of stepping into a much larger organization and just learning a little bit more about Mm -hmm. how slow sometimes things move and where people have operated from a real position of make sure you're protecting yourself. Mm, mm -hmm. And when you're moving in that space, it is like the antithesis of Mm risk-taking. Yeah. Yeah, that's hard. We were talking about building a culture of forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they probably haven't been incentivized to fail fast. Mm -mm. Yeah. I mean, 
Yeah. But I hear you using so much empathy. Not only are you talking about looking at these other partners or other organizations as having a different speed at mm. which they move. And so you're, you're sending out some love and kindness on, oh, they just move a little slower. That's, <laughs> it's, it's they're not evil. They're just moving slow. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I also, I can also imagine that you would be going to another place of saying, oh, they just have a different archetype. Oh, they just have a different Enneagram. Right, right. <laughs> Uh, they just have a different organizational character, yeah. you know, and so that you're trying to understand who they are and sort of well, back I mean, it. So we had some of these conversations, you can imagine, in the political landscape when oh, you're yeah. when you're actively in a race against a competitor. Yeah. And how personal sometimes things get and yeah. what and, you know, you're in the business of trying to persuade people yeah. and you're and also it's very helpful to not judge people for their beliefs or decisions when they don't align with yours, right? Yeah. Because that also impacts how you think of them as, you know, you can't do that. It doesn't work to maintain your sense of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in that there's having empathy is a big part of what got me through it as an intact human being, mm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. to just recognize that people are coming from really different positions, they yeah. came to their beliefs and their political persuasions through a set of experiences and through, um, their viewpoint in the world was shaped by the experiences that they had leading up to it. And so if I can, if our interaction can be one more experience that maybe breaks down a wall or helps to shift something, or if you're coming into that, if like the goal is to be persuasive or get to a different, Mm -hmm. um, resolution, Mm -hmm. anything you can do to break down a wall or to try to change a pattern for the person you're with, you're engaging, mm-hmm. feels like a win. Yeah. So closely related to empathy is, is understanding the values of the other person mm-hmm. that with whom you're maybe in conflict mm-hmm. and, um, maybe the person you need to forgive or the organization that you need to forgive. I can't remember if you and I ever used the Rokic values together where, I don't know. Sometimes I'll have people cut out these values and put them in order based on what's most important to you and what's least important to you. Mm -hmm. And so what's often interesting is you can think about, let's say, um, your most important value. I don't know. What, what do you think your driving value is off the top of your head? Honestly, I think empathy or authenticity. Yeah. They're, they're really at the top. Yeah. So let's say that's your number one. Let's say, um, somebody else, their number one value was stability. Mm -hmm. So you could see how their behavior would show up very differently Mm -hmm. than yours. If Mm -hmm. it's authenticity, that's right. They might not even tell the truth sometimes in the spirit of honoring their core value of stability. They don't want to rock the boat. Yeah. So, um, I'm married to a six. This sounds familiar. (laughs) Enneagram was the last show. Okay. All right. Yeah. Get Um, let it go. Get with it. No. um, But so, uh, yeah, I think that thinking about values can help us forgive the other person just just like empathy. Yeah. And maybe in the same way. Thank you for that. I love talking to you, Jess. I love talking to you. Um, Okay. So let's see. Um, I think that there's an, well, I know from the research that there's this thing called the amplifying effect, an amplifying effect when a leader publicly forgives. Um, so all of that good stuff I was talking about before, morale, engagement, social capital, trust, a leader can amplify all that positive yeah. organizational um, behavior when they have this 
um, forgiveness of others and it becomes contagious. And then other people in the organization will replicate forgiveness. And so it ends up being this flywheel. It enhances well-being and pro-social behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, So as a leader, have you ever witnessed the amplification effect? Um, Can you think of any times? Okay. I'm kind of thinking about it both like as you described it and the inverse Okay. You know, so you can see the inverse of it too yeah. when like leaders dig in or cast oh, blame yeah. and like what that does inside a culture. Yeah. Um, Shall we rename it the minimization effect, yeah, right? It can go both yeah. ways. Yeah. And so you can be disinclined towards it mm-hmm. or you can be inclined towards it. Mm. Um, yeah. And I, I'm trying to think of exact, I can think of better examples of like the opposite of the, the minimization effect, yes. but doing the same thing. But the amplifying, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of, of good examples. I mean, places where I tried to fuel this myself. I mean, it's easy to go quickly to some of the political perspectives just because they're potentially the most recent mm-hmm. and also the most, um, uh, they're very on point in our culture today mm-hmm. too, around what it means to either inflame fear, inflame or distort things mm-hmm. or elevate empathy, mm-hmm. elevate values, mm-hmm. um, and not hold that against the person. So in this case, if I'm thinking about the political spectrum, not holding things against um, a political opponent, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's really easy to do that in in the way that politics gets played out Mm -hmm. in this country today. Mm -hmm. Um, But it, and it maybe works to some degree because people respond to fear. Mm -hmm. But I think what really works is when you use that um, to talk about values, to talk about clarity to in the process you you know essentially forgiving your opponent for doing that to you mm-hmm. and that like transcends it, it bubbles through mm-hmm. um so many different kinds of relationships again in the political spectrum we're talking about people that work in a campaign or mm-hmm. you know are canvassing for you people who vote for you people talk, people talk about your values um, but i think that that is like take it to any organization take it to any culture um and it absolutely shows that if someone's willing to forgive that this is a safer a safer space mm-hmm. and that I too could forgive somebody mm-hmm. or I too could make a mistake and be forgiven mm-hmm. and that it's very easy to understand how it amplifies. Yeah. I've seen business owners do this um, in the space of competition, hmm. you know, so, so putting out sort of kindness to competitors who have been pretty ugly mm-hmm. behind their back. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen that work really well. And then you think of, oh my goodness, how classy that, you know, fill in the blank person so classy. is. Yeah, yeah. How yeah. classy that person is. Do you and- know the story of Judy Wicks? Oh, sure. Yeah. Her and how mm-hmm. she did, um, basically when she realized that in her business, the white dog cafe in Philadelphia, like back in the day, yeah. one of the first, you know, sustainably sourced, um, restaurants Restaurants, in in the country Mm -hmm. definitely one of the first in philly that kind of changed the game when she realized that this was like good for business Mm -hmm. and she was doing really well she was like oh i could lock this down and i could actually just own this um you know be almost like proprietary about it yeah but actually the right thing to do is to amplify this Mm -hmm. and to share these ideas and principles with people in a way that it um creates a transcendent Mm -hmm you know, you're working with your competitor Mm -hmm. and you're actually giving them your secrets Mm -hmm. because it's good for the planet. It's good for 
animals. It's good for, you know, in her case, that's why she really drove those decisions. So I don't beautiful. know if that's that connected to what you were talking about, but it's like, you can't, yeah. I really can't not think of her in a, in that kind of context. Yeah. Yeah. That's so generous. So much abundance. This is the part where we start crying. <laughs> <laughs> it's been known to happen. It happens sometimes when we get together. Okay. Um, let's see. So yeah, I tend to think about Michelle Obama with, you know, um, when they go low, you know, we go high go high, and, and just in terms of staying, staying classy and, uh, forgiving. Um, so one, one more question, is it okay to not forgive? When is it okay to not forgive? Um, I'm not sure how I even feel about thinking this question, let alone saying it out loud. I mean, I think from, well, a personal position, you always have to be the one who drives that. Mm -hmm. So yes, Mm -hmm. if you're not ready for it, Mm -hmm. then it's absolutely okay not to Mm -hmm. forgive or not to go there. Mm -hmm. In an organizational culture, um, you know, I think we're talking maybe about something a little different, right? And that if I think there's this line, again, to go back to to the Carver thing and this idea that if it's something illegal, immoral, or unethical, and that's the unethical piece is where it gets gray, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about that. If it's that, like that to me is a little bit more clear. But if it's outside of that, in an organization, if you really do want to create a space that's safe and that um, is innovative and can respond to the challenges at hand, then you got to forgive, mm-hmm. right? It should be part of the culture. Bottom yeah, line. Absolutely. Jess, I'm truly grateful to you for being part of this movement of helping world changers in the workplace enhance their individual and collective team performance. Please reach out to us through our website, workwisdomllc.com, where you can enjoy Work Wisdom Press, Work Wisdom Productions, ask questions, make suggestions of topics you'd like us to explore in future episodes. Today, we'll leave you with a quote about forgiveness from Desmond Tutu. Ultimately, you discover that without forgiveness, there's no future. We recognize that the past cannot be remade through punishment. There's no point in exacting vengeance now, knowing that it will be the cause for future vengeance by the offspring of those we punish. Vengeance leads only to revenge. Vengeance destroys those it claims and those who become intoxicated with it. Therefore, forgiveness is an absolute necessity for continued human existence.